This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. We're talking today with Ryan O'Hara, who is the host of Better Preach podcast. He's also the marketing strategist for St. Paul's Outreach, which we'll talk about here later in the show. But the podcast is really where my interests are, and I wanted to share that with you. I love the title of this podcast because it's kind of got a double meaning to it, right? It's one, it is a podcast to help people who are, uh, whether they are just trying to share their faith, whether they're in youth ministry, catechesis, priests, deacons, if you wanted to be a Catholic speaker, anything along those lines, if you wanted to hone your ability to communicate well, this is a place for you to learn to preach better. But that's not the name of the the podcast. The name of the podcast is Better Preach because there's also this like understood you. I don't know if you had that that concept presented in that way when you were in elementary school, that understood subject. You are the subject and then the verb comes after. You better preach. And that's part of our participation as as members of the baptized who received the the commission from Christ to go out into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that He's commanded. So I love that this kind of multifaceted, multivalent meaning of, uh, at least I assume, <laughs> that's how I interpret that multivalent meaning of the podcast. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us today. You bet. Excited to be here. So, so is there in your mind? Is there that multivalent meaning? To oh, absolutely. The title? Yeah, yeah. No, that was that was uh, that's been embedded into it from from day one. Because um, that that's both those convictions are are really something that's important to me. I think it's it's absolutely crucial uh, that we preach and proclaim the gospel, and in fact. That all of our speaking and somehow catechesis, uh, evangelization, all of it is is oriented to and and receives life from and and must proclaim the gospel. And also, let's do it better and let's figure out ways to to keep growing. And and so yeah, that's kind of the the dual purpose uh, of the podcast. I think that, or I feel that, we assume. That simply because I, I go to mass and I'm hearing the readings and I'm maybe reading the Magnificat or doing some other kind of spiritual life, spiritual devotion, or maybe I'm you know doing a, a catechist and I'm reading ahead in the book, that yeah. I'm just naturally going to be able to communicate the information that I've been receiving without having to really pay, pay any special attention to it. And and of course, anyone who's spent any time in in communications. You're in marketing. You also have the podcast. Uh, I've been in in radio for a long time. There is a craft that has to be honed apart from the content itself, that if we want to to communicate that content uh, and not just express it, this is one of my big things, uh, that expression is not the same thing as communication. I can express all I want, but if I am not taking the thoughts that are in my head and making them understandable to you in your head, accounting for all of the the hermeneutic or the the ways that you might interpret the things that I say, taking account of maybe landmines or buzzwords or anything along those lines, if I don't take account for that, then I'm not actually communicating. I am just spewing thought into the void. No, that's right. Um, in fact, um, 
I've heard it said that, that communication is not what is said, but only what is heard, or in mm-hmm. a sense, what is what is able to be received. And and that's uh, you know, and for me, it took a long time. Actually, it took longer than I would probably want to admit to to really learn that. I mean, I was I was giving talks in a variety of settings and probably saying all very very true things, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you know. But it wasn't. I wasn't always connecting with the audience or helping the audience receive, you know, what I was teaching or sharing or, or so on. And, and, um, and so, yeah, that's, that, that is so true. And I think that's a critical piece of, of people who are in ministry, whether, whether it's in the homily, whether it's in, in catechesis with, with children, or if it's in campus ministry and high school ministry, we, we have to take in where the audience is and how we can deliver um, a message to them. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna share about the Eucharist in a different way with a college student than a kindergartner. And so you just mm-hmm. if, if that's true, it's the same principle is true whatever the audience you know may be. Yeah, George Bernard Shaw has this quote that I loved, and when I was doing pre-cana and marriage prep, I would bring it out every time because it's so important as we talk about the importance of communication. He said that the single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it's taken place. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Just because, just because, I mean, in fact, somebody could be, could be quite eloquent and they don't have many filler words. They're convicted and, you know, all of these things that could come across and yet no communication has really taken place. And I remember actually experiencing that uh, one time, not too long, I don't know, it was about I guess three or four years ago now, giving a talk uh, to a Catholic in a Catholic setting, Catholic parish, kind of like a not really like a, a, a Lenten mission, but something along those kinds of lines. And people are invited to stick around after the the Saturday vigil mass. And you know, there were probably 60, 70 people who who stuck around and they wanted me to to talk on how do you actually share your faith with somebody else? Well, and you can kind of imagine where this is going. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great concept. I think I gave a great talk, but it was the wrong audience. They just were not in a place where they could, they could sort of take in what, what in, in this case, it was Pope Francis and some sec- sections from the joy of the gospel, where he was talking specifically about how do we actually share our faith? Well, that was not, that was 100% not where the people were. And the way that I knew that was not only their body language, uh, throughout the talk, but it was the fact that when we did a Q&A, there wasn't one person, and, and again, this is I'm not proud of this, but there wasn't one person who had one question. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, was really indicative that what I was just sharing was not landing. Part of that's on me to make sure that I know that uh, the audience, but part of that's on the, the parish or the people who are inviting you in to be really clear about where the audience is at, or for me even to notice, hey, this message really requires maybe the majority of the people to be fully intentional, committed disciples who want to share their faith. Right. And if we're going to do that, then okay, we can probably give that talk. But yeah, there was, there was clear, there was clear uh, expression, but very little communication. Yeah. And that was humbling. That was a humbling moment. So let's take that example into this, this concept of the podcast of, of preaching better and better preach. Yep. You, you're coming into a group of people, maybe let's take it down to the, the personal level. Maybe you're going to um, a family reunion, the people you haven't seen in a long time. 
Yeah. And you don't know all the things that have been going on in that community because, you know, you, you, your parents keep up with that. You don't necessarily, you just, you go to the reunions to, to, because it's the proper thing to do, right? You're coming in and you want to communicate something that's dear to your heart and you have some commonality because, you know, there's, there's family ties there. How would you prepare yourself and your, your thoughts to communicate to an audience that you kind of know, but, but maybe the danger is even making assumptions about who they are. Mm-hmm. How would you prepare uh, yourself to be flexible, to meet whatever scenario you found yourself with? Yeah. Well, um, and you, you well, don't have to keep it in the family, fa- the, 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 no, no. Well, mode. right. Because you're, it could be, it could be, you know, co- you know, work colleagues, if depending on your work setting, it, you know, it could be, you know, at the grocery store or, you know, at the bus stop, you know, or on the air, on an airplane, there's all sorts of ways in which we're, we're interacting with different folks. And, and sometimes uh, fa- family actually is one place that's, I think, particularly challenging to have, to have meaningful religious conversations if, if, if two people are in very different places, because there's so much sort of baggage connected to some family dynamics. But that notwithstanding, I mean, if I'm going to go into a a family setting like that, um, I'm I'm my first intent is 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 to listen and to ask questions. I mean, that's where I found that um, a, a curiosity on my part and and and, a, and a, an ability to kind of draw other people out in conversations become an opportunity to then direct a conversation uh, in a certain way, let's say, depending on the kinds of things that they shared. And, you know, and it could be, um, you know, depending on, on what they're talking about. So, so first of all, I want to take a position of, of listening and of asking questions and being curious about, about the person. But even before that, I've, I, I hope what I might be doing, if I'm really thinking about this, I'd be praying, I'd be interceding mm-hmm. and praying and uh, there's some line somewhere, I don't know if it's an official quote or who quoted quoted it, but like, you know, go to men, go to God about men before you go to men about God, that kind yeah. of concept, you know, and that's always resonated with me as as something that uh, that people, I, I want to be able to bring the gospel or share about an aspect of my faith because it's actually something that they're interested in me talking about. And uh, so I don't try to force it, but I try to be attentive to moments that might open up. So when you're in a conversational environment, that's a little bit easier. But let's say that you're going to give a a, a retreat for confirmation that you've been asked to come in, or maybe you're going to come in and give a a witness at the baptismal preparation class. Yep. Yep. Where there's not as much interaction and there's not really the opportunity to ask those kinds of questions. Is there a process that you go through uh, to prepare in that way to make the connection. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, again, I'm the, w- one of the main things that I would want to communicate to, to, to people in those settings um, is that God loves them and cares deeply about their lives. And that with that sort of foundation, here's how this, you know, how baptism, you know, in a sense connects to that truth that there's this hierarchy of truths 
that I always want to keep in mind, you know, that God is Trinity and thus God is love and, and that he became one of us and gave his life for us. And, and so as we relate to this hierarchy of truths, I want to stay in that stratosphere regardless of, of kind of what the particular content of the talk may be. But there's, there's four things that I'm always thinking about when it comes to putting a talk together. I want to make sure that I tell the truth and I want to represent well and speak well in a compelling and clear way what the church teaches. I want to tell a story, some way to connect the truth to everyday life, my life or, or theirs. I want to share what's at stake. And this is a, a kind of a key one. Like if we get this right, what can we imagine will be true in our lives? But if we get it wrong, you know, what's going to be missing? And then finally, I want to share what people can do about it. I want to make some kind of practical application. And that I've seen go, done over and over and over again has been a really helpful kind of template, if you will, for how, what I want to be true of the talks that I give, regardless of the audience, regardless of the particular, say, catechetical or teaching content. But those are four things that I've found to be really, really helpful. So the whole podcast, uh, yep. and even as it grows, yep. is all surrounded uh, and focused on being able to communicate the truths of our faith more clearly. Mm -hmm. That's right. But but you hit that in a number of different, from a number of different tacks, sometimes uh, all the way down to, uh, I think there's one on, on even marketing. Um, what are the, the kind of the key things that drew you to this idea of a podcast, yeah. uh, the, the broader vision of it? And what, maybe give us some examples of what we would find in the, in the various episodes, because this is yeah. interview format where you're bringing in people who are very good at what they do and having them communicate the things that they know to help us be able to communicate the things that we know. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, it was about five years ago. <laughs> when the when the idea for this podcast was born, and like most things, you know, you sit on it and you sit on it. And um, I love audio. I, I love podcasts. I've been listening to them since I first got an iPod. You know, mm. like it was an iPod Mini in two thousand five. I was a grad student at uh, at Notre Dame, and uh, my wife got me an iPod for my birthday. Anyway, so I remember listening the, on the very, very early days uh, to, to podcasts back then. I've always been fascinated by the medium. In fact, I was a my work study job in college, uh, like you do. I was I was a, a radio guy, and so I've I've been fascinated with radio, audio, podcasting forever. And um, and so I thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we, we can, I, I, I've always been fascinated by kind of the art and science of speaking to Catholic audiences. Feel like there's a call on my life to do that. But because of my work in SPO, I've had a lot of opportunities to do that in campus ministry, but also a lot of opportunities to help equip others to do it. And so I was like, how do, how do, what, I can watch people, I can watch great speakers, great preachers, Catholic and Protestant, or even secular. One of my favorite communicators is Colin Cowherd. He's a, a sports radio guy, and I, I just think he's fantastic. So there's great communicators out there, and I can listen to them. I can watch them. I can see them on YouTube. But I have no access to what they do before they grab the mic. Mm -hmm. And my own experience has been that's where the money is made. That's where great talks 
are are born and, and raised is in obscurity and when no one's watching and when you're praying and you're preparing, you're researching, you're studying, um, you're kind of practicing. So there's all of this stuff that happens before you get the mic. And my intuition was, what if we could bring these great communicators on and do all the stuff that we talk about, all the stuff we can't see and kind mm-hmm. of give people a little bit of behind the scenes kind of peel back the curtain. So that was that was kind of the uh the genesis of it uh some years back. And and then about a year and a half ago, a good friend of mine, uh Edmund Mitchell, he and I were talking and um I was like, I was just trying to figure out. I like I want to do a podcast and I had this idea in the back of my mind. He's like, well, think about it this way. What if you could talk about one thing every week, you know, for the next couple of years, what would it be? And immediately my thought was, well yeah preaching, Catholic speaking, you know, he's like, that's it. You got to do it. And so I took him up on that and, uh, and finally sort of launched it. And thankfully I have a lot of uh, like everybody that I've interviewed, I've, I've done about 25 to 28 interviews right now. Most of them are, are good friends of mine. And so that was also a bit of a bonus that I, I know a lot of these folks just through ministry circles over many years. So I was like, hey, I got a lot of people I can just call up. They'll jump on with me. And now my my challenge going forward is I've kind of reached the end of my Rolodex, you know. So I, there's a lot of people that I want to to bring on. So I'll have to to sort of learn how to invite others who I who I'll need to be introduced to. But my conviction stays the same that we can learn so much from what we what we can't see. And the other thing I'm doing too, because I do a lot of training in helping others kind of communicate the gospel, I'll be sort of turning the mic on as in solo episodes as well to kind of share a little bit of, of what I've learned uh, just to kind of keep the thing going. So it's kind of a mixture of, of sort of my own perspectives, my own uh, kind of thoughts and and talks that I've put together, and also bringing others on uh, to learn from them as well. You're kind of giving away some of our secrets here because you know we're we're sitting alone in our own uh, quiet studio rooms, and really we're just extroverts <laughs> who want to talk with our friends again. And so we're like, hey, I'll do a show. That's what we'll do. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right, that's right. Well, it's actually to that point. Like, not like you're, there's only really three ways to do it. You can put stuff out in writing on the internet. You can, you could put video or you could put audio. Mm -hmm. And I had to kind of take a look what comes most natural to me. Um, I'm okay on video, but that's a lot of work. Um, I I write, but boy, that's, that's a ton of work for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I can talk into a mic uh, until I'm, you know, it's just like, it's easy. Like it's, you probably feel the same way, you know, it just comes natural and that comes natural to me. So I'm curious, uh, you, you had this, this vision and this kind of scope laid out. And one of the things that I know is that when you bring someone on, even if you are familiar with their work and you start to engage with them about a subject, which they know quite a lot about Mm -hmm. and about which they are passionate, you're going to come away with a different product than you set out thinking you were going to get. Mm-hmm. So as you're coming into these conversations with with friends and colleagues about something that you also are very familiar with, mm-hmm. do you have maybe one or two standout things that you learned because of this process that just kind of blew your mind that you hadn't even considered beforehand? Yes. Um, one of the things, well, I would say, I would say there, there were some, some standout things 
that consistently don't show up that I thought might. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there have been a few standout things that have been really uh, convi- convicting and kind of challenging to me and helping me understand better this thing that I've been doing, you know, for so many years. And, um, and so one, one of the things I thought I would hear more of is that people had a way that they practiced their talks. And in general, the answer is no. Like people either, either don't have enough time or they're just, I don't think people are like overly self-reliant. I just think for many of the best, um, being able to put words together without having rehearsed them, if you will, just comes natural. And that's, that was a bit surprising to me. I don't do a ton of practice, but I do more than, than many have, have mm-hmm. talked about. So that was surprising to me. I just almost to, to each one, there's almost no practicing that takes place. Well, that was surprising to me. And what I see in that is that you sit with the content and you pray with the content and you kind of soak in the content and marinate in it. Mm-hmm. And then you practice the skills and you're intentional about the skills and you may, you know, look back at old talks and identify things where you, they didn't go as well. If you have them on video, I do this with, with shows as well. I'm like, Oh, that, that turn of phrase didn't work as well. I need to, I'm saying that word too many times. I need to work on that, but I do that completely separate from the material that I want to present. So if I'm, if I'm giving a talk or if I'm going to do radio, it's a whole lot of active listening. It's a whole lot of, of knowing the content and then fitting it into the framework of the practice of communications that comes completely separate from that. Yeah, that's right. And, and also just the, the reps themselves, the giving of the talks themselves are practice. And, and, and that's that, you know, I myself didn't always, I didn't always practice, you know, for a handful of years, I, I wasn't doing that. But I started doing more of that and I saw an immediate bump in 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 my at least perceived effectiveness. And and I was just I was just intrigued by the fact that so very almost, you know. Five percent of the folks I talked to have a real active plan for practicing. In fact, one of them was really surprising at at how much time he practices giving a talk, a new talk, like thirty times. And I just couldn't get my head around that because that was like an extreme. But again, he was a total outlier, and I could see he's really effective at at what he does, and. Um, and I can understand how he arrived at that, um, but it was it was really that was one thing that was really surprising. So now let's go to the other side. That's that didn't show up, and that surprised you. What's the thing yeah. that you had never even considered, and it kind of grabbed? Your yeah, attention? you know i I would say um, I noted I noted a, there were there were two things, and these are subtle, but they they really they really for some reason spoke to me. One was the the power of pausing that was one thing and I'll, I'll explain both of these and the second one was the purpose of humor and i i've always known that you know humor is kind of this natural lubricant that that just just helps and people you know like 
like talks and like you know appreciate you know uh, appreciate humor. But the Michael Hoffman was the one who shared about uh, the the purpose of humor, and he and he and he made a great point that humor helps hard topics land. Mm-hmm. And if you can find ways to say difficult things while also um, disarming the audience, you just increase by an in, in order of magnitude the likelihood that that difficult idea lands. And I it's kind of like you know a spoonful of sugar <laughs> makes the medicine go down. Well, it's really hard to laugh if you're on your guard, and it's really hard to have your guard up if you're laughing. Yeah, that's right. And it's not. And, and again, he would never say, and he didn't say that it, humor is. It's not. It's never for humor's sake. Right. But he would. He talked about how you can take. You take. Um, if you if you have something that you. Some, something difficult that you want to talk about. He talked about workshopping so that at those difficult moments um, that you have some levity and you, and you actually have to stop and it might even take you a while, maybe even take you more than, than writing that part of the talk to really think through what can I do to help break the ice here? Or maybe it's not right there, but there has to be moments of levity and, and relief that mm-hmm. come. And I thought that that really kind of helped me understand the the role of humor. And he made the point it's not about it's not about someone some people are more naturally funny, they have a better sense of humor. But if you don't have and what he encouraged was if you don't have a, a great natural sense of humor, share some of your content with someone who does or a couple people that do and say where's the where's the funny in this? What can we do to kind of lighten lighten the mood and um i was all i've always been bothered by you know the the speakers who who just start off with a joke literally they go find you know dad jokes on the internet they tell <laughs> those jokes and then they just talk they start they're talking talk about something else completely i'm like i'm glad that i laughed and yeah it's a little bit of levity but let's do a little more work and, and help connect <laughs> these funny things to the point. It's not just telling jokes is the point, you know? Yeah. So that was interesting. And then the other one with the pause um, that, and of course we've, we've seen the power of like the, the, like the uh, dramatic pause, but what I always. With, with the dramatic pause, we're going to take a dramatic pause of a break right it. about here. And when we come back, we can readdress that. We're talking today, if, you, uh, if you're just joining us, we're talking with, with Ryan O'Hara. Uh, he's the host of the Better Preach podcast, uh, which you can find at ryanohara.org. Uh, he is also the, uh, the marketing strategist for St. Paul's Outreach, which we're going to talk about here in this next segment. You can find out more about them over at spo.org. Come over and be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media. You can find it at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Is there a homily that you've heard or someone either in a catechetical lesson or in evangelization who said something that just really stuck with you? What was it and what was it about the delivery that really made that impact stand out to you? Let us know and don't go anywhere because there's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We're talking today with Ryan O'Hara. He's the host of the Better Preach podcast. You can find it over at ryanohara.org. That's R-Y-A-N-O-H-A-R-A.org. We've got a link to that over on our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. We were just talking about, if you were listening beforehand, the dramatic pause, which is absolutely fantastic and necessary in preaching. It's awful in radio, so we're not going to really demonstrate that here. Uh, <laughs> Dead but, air. But let, we were talking about, Ryan, the things that that through the course of having these conversations in your podcast, you have been surprised by. And we talked about the the role of and the purpose of humor. And then we got to the dramatic pause and we had to take a dramatic pause of a break. But we're back now. So let's pick right back up. Yeah. So I, I've always understood, the, the again, kind of the power of the dramatic pause. But what I hadn't taken into consideration is... Is, and, and Paul George was the one who shared this with me, is that we are speaking, you know, in front of a, a group, we, we're speaking faster than the group can process. Mm-hmm. Like we're giving more information than the group can, can take in. And again, if you, and if you speak particularly fast, that may all the more be be the case, but even at whatever kind of normal pace you're speaking, uh, you're probably giving more information than the group can process. And so, there are times when you might maybe forget what you're going to say next, or you need to check kind of your notes. And assuming it doesn't f- feel or look awkward, there's nothing wrong with just taking a breath, glancing down at your notes giving it two or three, three seconds for, for people to kind of catch up and then mm-hmm. keep going. And for me, I, I think I tended to treat talks like live radio, yeah. like dead, like any dead air is bad. Mm-hmm. And I, I had believed that even though I, I've, I've seen, I know the power of the dramatic pause. I've, I've used the power of the dramatic pause, but I've never used the, like uh, the pause as something that just people might appreciate or I maybe need it mm-hmm. and I need to maybe say a prayer or I need to look again at my notes and go. I, I always perceive that as bad. Mm-hmm. But if you don't draw too much attention to it or you're like, oh, I'm not sure what I'm going to say next, you, you don't give that away. Mm-hmm. So that, again, that may sound really simple, but that really unlocked something for me that I, I don't think I I took into consideration. And what he was saying was he thinks of his talks as conversations. So while, while you're not getting a, the same kind of feedback verbally um, like you might in a regular one-on-one conversation, the audience is giving you cues. And part of it is taking a step back and, and pausing. And, and letting that be a part of the conversation. And I thought that was really insightful. Well, I think this goes even well beyond um, the idea of giving a talk and going back to that idea of catechetical things or, or even evangelistic things where you're having conversations. We consistently in those scenarios talk faster than we think we are. And part of that is just trying to get everything in. Part of it is the adrenaline of the moment and the nervousness of wanting to get things right. Uh, 
Right. But we always talk faster. And what, one of the things that listeners of this show know is that we do a reading uh, from from scripture and from church history here at the end of the show. And I have that up in a, in a screen over here on the side. Uh, I have that type bumped up so large to read it because when it is small, even though on a normal day I could read, the, the act of reading it and processing it and speaking it, I have to have it so big so that my attention isn't distracted. And I think mm. of of giving a talk with all of those words being similar to that that paragraph of text that's just kind of dense and put all together and and hard to process and to read. And that the act of slowing down, the act of pausing, uh, allows for that larger type to kind of see, sink in and for us to see each word individually. Uh, and I also, you know, we, you talked about you talked about um, dead air being bad, and I think we forget why that is, right? On radio, the reason that dead air is bad is because at any moment, someone could tune in, and you don't want them to think the station is dead or down or yeah. that, and, and scroll on. It, it's it's, a, it's con- uh, customer acquisition as much as anything else, uh, 100%. and not about, you know, if you're giving a talk or you're in a conversation, that person is sitting right in front of you. They're not going to walk in in the middle of your pause. They can see you and they can, that there's other information being given that you don't get on the radio. And so I think to appropriate that rule of no dead air for our talks or for our conversations, uh, can actually be to the detriment of those conversations and talks. Right. And and, you know, we've heard this principle uh, in a lot of different areas of life, but less is more. Mm-hmm. And I, I find that's the number one rule or, or the number one sort of mistake I think that young teachers and communicators make is they just try to pack way too much in too, too short a time, you know, mm-hmm. and and that any one person or any any one time I'm sitting down I'm going to really only walk away with one or two things. Um, so make it easy for me. My, my brain can't do 12, 12 things I need to do differently. My brain might be able to do one and just walk me right, walk me right into that. And so less is more. Um, and I, I found that my talks, I've, I've tried to shorten them and simplify them significantly over the years. Well, and to... If there is an important point, I mean, the, the whole word catechesis comes from the idea of to echo, right. right? It's something that echoes back down and it continually repeats like the water continually comes onto the shore. And that, that echoing, that continual movement shapes and forms us like the water forms the shore. And so I think that we tend to, th- to look at talks or conversations as a river, we have to go down, right? I've got a, a starting point to this conversation. I've got an ending point in mind to this conversation. And we don't allow ourselves to lap up on the shore and to re uh, to recapitulate those important points. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like that, that game that, you know, kids play the, the telephone game. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, we're in this with, with, with help of grace, thankfully, and the help of the Holy spirit that the, the church is, is is playing that game and some catechists some teachers some speakers need to understand better uh you know the next person isn't if if, if you read me a long paragraph and i'm supposed to pass that on to the next person 
Who yeah. knows? You know, and I think we ha- if we could kind of keep that principle in mind, it'll go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I mm-hmm. no chance that the, the next person picks up that whole thing to pass on to the next. We're talking today with Ryan O'Hara. He's the host of the podcast, Better Preach. You can find it over at ryanohara.org. I want to take a little bit of time here at the end and discuss your other work, Marketing Strategist for St. Paul's Outreach, because even in that work, you are working with the proclamation of the gospel uh, in a very particular way with, Mm -hmm. with working with missionaries on college campuses. So there are a couple of organizations out there that are doing this kind of work. What is it that you see that sets SPO, St. Paul's Outreach, apart yeah. uh, in in the sphere, in the market, as it were? And, uh, and what does it look like for someone to come and work with you? Yeah, you know, SPO, you're, you're kind of pointing at, you know, the focus. Focus is sort of the, the uh, you know, the, the big dog on the block, you know, well, you've got focus. Then there's, there's also like, um, net ministries that does this at a high school level. There's all yeah, kinds evangelical of evangelical Catholic, yeah. you know, yeah. Madison, Wisconsin, there's a whole number of great, uh, kind of, you know, apostolates that serve high school students and college students. And we're, we're right in there. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing there's, I'd say there's two things that SPO, I think in some ways, uh, distinctly brings to the table. Uh, one is, is a relationship and an, or an appreciation of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So a, a particular kind of commitment to um, seeing the Holy Spirit and the power of the Spirit being activated in in uh, God's people, certainly connected to the grace of the sacraments and wanting to call forth the gifts, the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's one piece. The other piece is household life. Mm-hmm. And so... Because uh, SPO has its roots in the modern Catholic charismatic renewal, part of what the Catholic charismatic renewal did was not only kind of bring the power of the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit uh, to bear on people's lives more more deeply, um, that outpouring of the Holy Spirit also brought people together mm-hmm. and and bound them in deep, committed relationships with one another. So it it was both an explosion uh, vertically towards a love for God, a worship of God, um, a growth in prayer and and scripture and love for the church and her sacraments. It also extended things horizontally of a of a deepening of relationships in the body of Christ. And so I think SPO is really this um, this sort of vertical and horizontal expression of living deep relationship with God and each other's. And our our households are the primary place that happens. You know, every student has a bed they they sleep in. You know, it's yeah. the dorms or they're they're bar- partnering up with with buddies in apartments or whatever. So we take that and we're like, let's move in with with college students. And our missionaries do that. And we we buy houses near the campuses that we're serving and we invite students to to live a new way of life 24/7. And they're college students and they're having fun and they're doing this and that, but they're praying in the mornings and they're having meals together and there really is kind of like the the uh headquarters. It's like the mission the mission base. It's kind of where mission is launched from those households. Mm-hmm. So, um those would be two things I would point out that I think SPO kind of uniquely stands for. Yeah. And 
as we're talking about this, you and I think would both agree that this is not a, a competition between you and the other organizations, no, no rather, yeah. any more than the Franciscans and the Dominicans are, are competing with one another. There is a certain right. charism of life that you That's are expressing uh, yeah. and ministering in that capacity. Yeah. And also, and, and honestly, I think like just you take Focus or NAT or EC or whatever, there are many things they do much better than than we do. Mm-hmm. And just seeing that complementarity um, that, you know, like, for, for instance, Focus, I, they have an incredible missionary zeal. Mm-hmm. That's part of their charism. And SPO has a, a different kind of zeal and mission is a part of it. But, I don't, you know, they have a real charism, you know, for that, for instance. And so, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. There's a complementarity there. And we just want to be faithful to the, these sort of founding charisms that, that God has, has given to us. So let's say that there's a person who is who is interested in doing that kind of college level mission work. Yeah. And they're trying to discern where is the place that they might do that. What kind of features or characteristics or or expressions of faith might suit them better to the the SPO model uh, yeah. that to help them discern that their place in that broader context. Yeah. Well, one thing is, you know, the charismatic element is is just a part of who we are. You know, wherever wherever somebody would would sort of encounter SPO, there's going to be expressive praise and and kind of active, you know, activity mm-hmm. in and around um, the the whole, you know, the charismatic gifts. So that's a piece. You yeah. you have to have either an experience of, a welcoming of, or a real openness to kind of life in uh in the spirit. So that'd be that'd be one thing. The other piece is a, a willingness to jump into life with students 24/7, you know. Yeah. You're we're going to put you in a household um and you got to think like can I Am I ready for that? Do I want to do that? And that's a it's a big it's a big it's a big leap. And then I think the third thing is is being willing to set aside two big things in life for just a little bit. One is kind of the pursuit of romantic relationships, kind of set that set that back for a bit. And two, uh, even a willingness to be sent wherever there's a good spot. You know, so you could be sent anywhere around the country. Mm-hmm. So we kind of ask people. Oh, and then the third thing is, would you be willing to ask others to support you financially? So you got to raise support. Yeah. So these are these are these are kind of the big pillars that we we kind of put out there. And if if that's something that people are are up for, uh, we think God has a, a great mission for SPO and want to invite others into that. You can find more about St. Paul's outreach over at spo.org. Look through the website. And maybe you want to support a missionary that's already out there, or maybe you are feeling a little bit of a draw towards impacting the lives of college students. You can do that uh, exploration and discernment at spo.org. Ryan, it has been such a pleasure to talk with you today. Thanks for being here. You bet. I'm so grateful, TL. Thank you. If you missed any part of my conversation with Ryan O'Hara, or you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends over on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. 
And while you're there, if you're looking for a little bit more, I have good news because each and every week we provide you more. Uh, There's an extra segment that we make available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air and in gratitude, we'd like to give them a couple extra questions with our guests and a deeper dive into the topic. So if you want to learn more about that, go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that link there in the menu that says Patreon and look through it, see what you think. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention now to our readings from scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read scripture in light of church teaching by putting the magisterium at your fingertips by linking scripture to the fathers and doctors of the church, magisterial documents, biblical commentaries, original language research, and so much more. You can learn more over at Verbum.com. You know we're going to keep on that theme about preaching the gospel. So we're going to start in the the letter of St. Paul to the Romans, chapter 10, where Paul says to the Romans— For Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That reading again comes from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans out of chapter 10. And this is one of those those passages that just kind of rings and re-echoes over and over again in my mind. How are they to call on Christ in whom they've not believed? How can they believe in whom they haven't heard? How can they hear if there's no one to preach? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Now, the good news— uh, for us is that we know that someone is sent. And who is that that's sent? Well, it's you and me, right? Go into all the world and make disciples. Jesus said this to us as he was ascending into heaven. The last thing that he gave to his disciples before he ascended to the Father was this command, this commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And we may feel, oh, well, I'm not really qualified for that. And I have to ask you, Think back on the disciples and who it was that Jesus called. Fishermen, right? Got a tax collector in there. You you have people who were not necessarily the the top echelon of the erudite, right? These, These were the working class. And Jesus called them, and he walked with them, and he discipled them, and then he sent them out. And so we don't have to be the super qualified uh, people. We have to be the people who have experienced the love of Jesus Christ in a profound way, that we have modeled our lives after him, that we have made ourselves uh, open to him 
so that we could be this current manifestation of Christ's presence to the world, that we are the body now, the body of Christ. And so for us, we are sent. And so we now, with uh, the prophet Isaiah, uh, hear the call of God, who shall I send and who will go for me? And we hopefully will have that same answer that he had. Uh, Here I am, Lord, send me. And it's a scary thing. By goodness, it's a scary thing. But it's also a thing that when we are sent by God to preach uh, in in our contexts, he does it in a way uh, that he equips us. We have to be in prayer, obviously. We have to uh, to be well-read. And if you're not well-read, this is a, a great time to start. Read the words of Christ in the Gospels. Read the words of the church that they give to us through the documents of the church. And speaking of the documents of the church, uh, we're going to go now to a specific document regarding the lay faithful. Uh, this was by Pope John Paul II. It's called Christifidelis Laici. We're going to read out of chapter 33. This is our paragraph 33, rather. This is the paragraph on the proclamation of the gospel, proclaiming the gospel. And Pope St. John Paul II says to us in that document, the lay faithful, precisely because they are members of the church, have the vocation and mission of proclaiming the gospel. They are prepared for this work by the sacraments of Christian initiation and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In a very clear and significant passage from the Second Vatican Council, we read, As sharers in the mission of Christ, priest, prophet, and king, the lay faithful have an active part to play in the life and activity of the Church. Strengthened by their active participation in the liturgical life of their community, they are eager to do their share in the apostolic works of that community. They lead to the church people who are perhaps far removed from it. They earnestly cooperate in presenting the Word of God, especially by means of catechetical instruction, and they offer their special skills to make the care of souls and the administration of the temporal goods of the church more efficient. The entire mission of the church, then, is concentrated and manifested in evangelization. Through the winding passages of history, the church has made her way under the grace and the command of Jesus Christ. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. And lo, I am with you always until the close of the age. To evangelize, writes Paul VI, is the grace and vocation proper to the Church, her most profound identity. Through evangelization, the Church is built up into a community of faith, more precisely, into a community that confesses the faith in full adherence to the Word of God, which is celebrated in the sacraments, and lived in charity, the principle of Christian moral existence. In fact, the good news is directed to stirring a person to a conversion of heart and life and a clinging to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to disposing a person to receive baptism and the Eucharist, and to strengthen a person in the prospect and realization of new life according to the Spirit. Certainly, the command of Jesus, go and preach the gospel, 
always maintains its vital value and its ever-pressing obligation. Nevertheless, the present situation, not only of the world, but also of the many parts of the Church, absolutely demands that the Word of Christ receive a more ready and generous obedience. Every disciple is personally called by name. No disciple can withhold making a response. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. That reading again comes from the the, the words of St. Pope John Paul II out of the document Christofidelis Lecce. This is one of those tricky readings because I think so often in our society, maybe it's specifically in church society, maybe it's the society writ large, we see this, this drive towards a specialization right? We have to be a people who specialize in something. You, you, you've got not just a doctor, but the heart doctor, the brain doctor, and, and not just uh, a contractor, but uh, a contractor who focuses on a specific thing. Or uh, There's very few generalists anymore. And so for us, we look at faith and religion, and we think, well, that's the job of the priest, of the deacon, of the theologian, and that's not really my place. And so we kind of abdicate that role that we have as disciples of Jesus Christ uh, and and that obligation that we have, and we farm it off to those people who specialize in those things so that, that um, they can handle it more effectively than we can. And yet the truth of the matter is that we are the ones— who, as, as the document here says, as Christopher Dallas Leitchie says, we are the ones who are out in the midst of the world and are close enough to touch those places uh, and those people that the specialist would never be able to make it to. We are the ones who are living in the world uh, and called to be in the world, but not of it. And so we, are the, we have a, a unique ability, uh, not only ability, but also a unique um, a unique call to make Christ present in those places. And so we hear, even as we talk about the, the podcast, A Better Preach, we immediately think that that belongs to someone else, right? That belongs to the priest or the deacon or the catechist or the theologian and not to me. And yet, um, it precisely does apply to us because of that universal call to holiness and that universal uh, command to go out and to preach the gospel. And so I encourage you, spend some time, maybe even go and sit before uh, the, the Blessed Sacrament. Spend some time in adoration and say, God, what does it look like for me in my context to proclaim the gospel as I have received it? Uh, to, to as a person who has received the love of God, to then also make that love visible, manifest, and available to those who are in my circle of influence. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's show was brought to you by Lexi and by all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link to learn more and be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. And until next week, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing affright you. All things are passing, but God is unchanging. 
patience obtains all things. Who has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.